This is a Morley Radio podcast. Welcome to the London Hat Week podcast series. I'm Becky Weaver, co-founder of London Hat Week and editor of Hat Talk, an e-magazine and online resource for hat makers. For episode eight, we are joined by Sarah Kent and Ian Bennett from Morley College's Chelsea Center, formerly Kensington and Chelsea College. Ian and Sarah are experienced tutors, authors, and couture milliners with their own well-established labels who have both made hats for the royal household. I should point out that none of us are in the Morley Radio studio today. We are recording this from our homes, so apologies in advance for any sound quality issues. Sarah and Ian, welcome, and thank you for taking part in the London Hat Week at Homes podcast series. Hi. Hi. Hello. Thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah, it's great to, to talk to you today. We'd love to hear a bit more about your own businesses. So, Sarah, I'm going to come to you first. Can you tell us what you do when you're not teaching at Morley College? Yeah, I have a small couture millinery business making occasion hats and headpieces. It's very small. It's basically me. And I have someone helping me maybe two days a month. Um, and I do collections. I do um, bespoke headpieces. I sell directly to my website. And then I do the odd, you know, funny project. But mostly it's just me making hats for ladies to wear to the races or weddings. That's about <laughs> it. Excellent. Well, that's, that's amazing. And Ian, how about you? Uh, in the same way, I'm similar to Sarah. We, I, I'm a small milliner. Um, I don't work via my website. I don't have a website. I use Instagram, but um, I have a shop in Victoria. Um, it's over two stories, so I have a ground floor, which is a sort of selling experience, like a salon, and then downstairs where I make, but also where I do teaching from. So I do small groups, um, but I, I mainly make women's race wear occasion wear but i'm the only person in the world that has actually the equipment and materials to make men's black silk top hats as made to measure wow so the i am i've managed to bag a lot of black silk over my lifetime and had blocks make and made and have a victorian conformer and i can actually do head sizing to make a new silk top hat. Wow. But that, and that is actually a, an art that had almost disappeared. Am I right? Yeah. There, there, there are, there's, there's lots of college, um, there's lots of museums that have lots of access to stuff, which is brilliant because it's sort of taken me about five years to work this out as I've been trying to amass the, the material at the same time. So it has been a long and slow process. Well, that is um, very interesting and uh, we look forward to Seeing some of those as ne- hopefully on the track next year. <laughs> <One time>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Sarah, you're based in the Cotswolds. I think, Ian, you're based in London. You mentioned your shops in Victoria. Um, right. So could you just give us a quick, you know, what, what are your surroundings right now where you are? Uh, Ian. I'm, I'm actually working from home at the minute because of the way that the COVID situation worked. Um, I was told to close my shop and as or, uh, non-essential shops had to close. Um, so I started moving everything home in the car and, and slowly but surely turned my poor old dining room table into what was my millinery studio again and working everything, climbing around everything. And as we all know, when you're over two sites, 
like if you're not working from your studio at home and or you bring stuff to work the it always seemed to be the only thing i ever needed was in the shop <laughs> or I, I could get through i could dye my yeah. feathers i could cut them i could trim them and then the wire would be at the shop or the wire would be at the shop and then i'd need a certain color and that dye would be at the shop and it just ended up in the evenings when we were sort of going out almost like covert operations of <laughs> driving into town unlocking the shop with a list of running around and then grabbing everything and leaving it so, and the house got steadily fuller excellent and then eventually you're gonna to have to get it all back again i suppose I, I, we've started taking it all back yeah. of which now seems to be the journeys into it- town where- <laughs> And how about you, Sarah? Well, I mean, I, I'm based outside of London. I'm in the Cotswolds, edge of the Cotswolds. And I, I'm very lucky in that I have my studio in my garden, um, which, I mean, it's in a building in my garden. Yes. <laughs> it means that I, I can work from home with two small children in, in, in lockdown. Um, I haven't had the same challenges in terms of, of having to stop and start business. Um, it means that I travel to my customers a lot more than, I mean, if they come to me, it's lovely, but when, you know, I can't expect that. Um, but it suits my working patterns to be able to fit in an evening's work or, you know, a half day or, you know, whenever I have the time. Um, also, I have a lot, because I have a lot of space and a lot of light, which I wouldn't necessarily have if I was in a studio, shared studio. So there are pluses and minuses. For me, yeah. it's perfect. I will never leave. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. my children kick me out. <laughs> it looks great. Really nice. It's very nice. And I have a little yeah. kitchen dyeing area and I have and then I just, you know, hike my stuff out on the washing line to dry it or I do my stiffening outside or whatever. So it enables me. I mean it's set up as a studio, but I also have, you know, I have display out for my current season so that if I have customers coming to my studio, it also feels like they're having a really nice experience of like coming to this sort of secret space, but it's also secretly set up for them. You know, it's got the stuff, the display and the show cards up and all that. Um, yeah. So it's, 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 it's luxury, but it's also luxury far away from London. That's yeah. <laughs> but also with not bad, bad access, transport access too, I suppose you can get to London pretty easily from. Yeah. 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 I do. And, and I do. And, and, and I, I am always on the train with my hat box. <laughs> <laughs> so you need a couple of seats when you travel. <laughs> Well, you know, as it happens, there are these slots on certain carriages that are exactly the size of my largest hat box. And there's two, right? So I'm one down and one up and not, you know, not feel too much hatred from my fellow passengers. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's good for social distancing as well. If you- yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't sit there. This is my social distance space. Right. I need it for my hat boxes. This is my space and my hat boxes space. <laughs> Well, that that sounds great and, and amazing that you you know you're making your spaces work where you are and uh, you know there's just all different ways that you can make a, a millinery business work. Uh, you don't have to be in a city, but it, it it's great to have a shop space and you know it's good to hear different sides of it. So we have a series of interviews called the London Hat Week Headliners, and I believe we have asked you those questions before. So I'm going to go off piece slightly here um, and ask you some different questions. So. Sarah, could you tell us how you got into millinery originally? Yeah, I was a costume designer. Uh, well, I was trying to be a costume designer and do a PhD in French wow. literature, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but really, in my heart of hearts, I wanted to be a costume designer. And um, I mean, I think since I was like 
14, I wanted to do that. And I thought the millinery would be a good extra skill, you know, another string to my bow. So I went to a class with Ian, actually. Oh. <laughs> At the London College of Fashion. How cool! I didn't realize that you had yeah. a connection. And, um, yeah. Obviously, <laughs> it took over my life, and I had to abandon the academia, and I had to abandon the the costumes. Wow! Just make that. That's very cool. How about you, Ian? So you've obviously were in millinery first in this situation. Uh, I've been in millinery forever, but no, sorry. Um, no, I was many many years ago when I wanted to be a window designer, a window display designer first um but i in the the good old days when you went to the careers office and they they told you you basically were a babysitter or a fruit picker um and, and didn't really care about anything in between um i i got i went and did a, a gad a general art and design course at uh, art college and then from there i started doing sculpture and i came what i used to do was make clay figures and then stretch fabric over them and then sit, dip the fabric in stiffener and then when it was dry take them off so i have a, a, a fabric <laughs> version of the clay and and then one one day a visiting lecturer said you're actually doing millinery but just not making hats <laughs> i'm like what is, wow. what is this millinery malarkey <laughs> I, I did i did a wi course as a one day I went out to this freezing cold house in the middle of Norfolk uh, with all these like grey and pink rinse ladies with their twin sets and pearls and everything <laughs> who obviously went for the scones and not for anything else. And um, I was like, what is this? And what is this? And what is this? And I, I was blocking all these things like crazy. And my first ever hat was the most ugly grey felt bowler you've ever seen in your life. But it, I thought it was magic. And, uh, and that was, I think that was 1991. Wow. So, yes. So, literally, you came to millinery by accident. You were making hats before you even knew you were doing yeah, it. Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was meant to be, for sure. Hopefully so. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, you, you just mentioned the first hat you made. Um, Sarah, how about you? What was the first hat you made? Um, it was in Ian's class, and it was felt. It was like a 1930s kind of picture hat. It had a lime green, the only hat I've ever made in lime green, felt crown and a black brim. And the trimming was made with the, with the offcuts. Uh, I think a friend of mine bought it. The second one was horrible. I tried to make a topper, huge topper in a, with a paper Panama. And I remember Ian just going, <laughs> you're never going to get that over. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I had to extend it with buckram and yeah. it was horrible. I wish you hadn't started that one. <laughs> well, it's definitely sure. getting to know your materials is a huge part of millinery, isn't it? And what's possible yeah. with which materials. So. Absolutely. <laughs> I do like the Panama as it happens, but you have to treat them a certain way, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, probably not the beginners. The place is set for beginners, I would think. But, <laughs> but you've definitely got there. Um <laughs> So, uh, Ian, what is your favorite style of hat to wear um, and why? Well, I've, it, it depends where I'm going. If it's dog walking, it's one of these. So you're showing us a baseball cap? Uh, uh, my Stormtrooper baseball cap. Um, the, the, guys, the guys in Spain yeah. gave me, <laughs> thankfully, gave me a selection of Star Wars-inspired baseball caps of which take over my entire <laughs> life. 
Um, or when the weather gets <laughs> not so great, it's uh, Stetson for the winter. Very nice. And I have to mention that I've seen some pictures of a fabulous red top hat, which which you wear very well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which occasionally gets an outing last week. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was one of the very few things about lockdown that was quite nice, that I could wear my red silk top hat as an ascot day and not get told off. (laughs) Yeah, well, maybe that'll change as they get to see the pictures and they'll say, we've got to let these in. I feel that they should just commission you to make them for Ascot. Yes. Solution, surely. Definitely. That that would be lovely. Mm. Um, they've, They've allowed navy blue this time for the first, for men. Wow. Shocking. (laughs) (laughs) Sarah, how about you? Do you have a favorite style to wear? Uh, I mean, I think I I kind of tend to wear like a mid-size headpiece, Mm -hmm. like a beret with something tall on it. I think I probably don't wear my most interesting hats, to be honest. Um, Yeah, I think I probably tend towards quite samey ones. and I never make something specially for me. The minute I do that, I go, oh, it's far too nice to put it in the collection. <laughs> so if I, yeah. if I, I mean, it's all occasion wear, really. I'm not, I'm not actually, well, in fact, my winter hat is a red beret that I got when I was 13 and I went to Paris. And when you're 13 and you go to Paris in 1980, well, 87, probably, I, you get a red beret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I still have it. And that's my winter hat. Wow. That is amazing. I love it. Um, otherwise, if I'm going to an occasion, I, you know, I feel that you have to practice what you preach. So yeah. I would always wear a hat, obviously, yeah. and I'd wear one of my hats. Um, but, you know, my customers wear my hats way better than I do, <laughs> you know, without a doubt. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you have a customer and you put something on them and they, you, you look at them and they go, oh, wow, you look fabulous. And they, the same thing that you've been trying on when you've been making it all the time, you're like, oh, just try not to focus on your forehead downwards and try, just try and look at the, the hat and its placing. So then when you see it on the customer, you can actually enjoy it instead yeah. of just seeing this bit. Yeah. Bridget, Bridget Bailey, who is a very um, uh, funny person as well as being an amazing milliner, yeah. says, oh, it's like, you know, to students when they're learning to actually look in the mirror and always look in the mirror when they're making hats, it's, oh, it's like a bad smell. You won't you won't notice it after a while. It's like stop seeing your face. Right? Yeah. Just see yourself and just see the hat. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So Sarah, let's let's go to you now. You're well, both of you are very well traveled. Um, what do you see as the characteristics of millinery in different parts of the world? Do you do you see differences in, say, America, Canada, Australia, UK? Yeah, I mean you know, American, well, I mean, I come from California, which is so casual, you know, they wear shorts to weddings, <laughs> at least Northern <laughs> California, you know, but there's yeah. not a lot of millinery of my sort in California. Obviously, other bits of America, you do see it. I think they're very influenced by British millinery, to be honest. I think they look, mm-hmm. I think the North America, at least, looks to, to, looks to, to Britain, you know, it looks to UK millinery for that, that, the style. I think it's derivative. Um, whereas Australia, ha- I mean, I don't know very much about Australian millinery um, with direct experience, but it seems that they have their own, there's an Australian style of millinery, which I'm sure Ian can yeah. say more about. But I think North America is very derivative of the UK. Yeah, I think the royal uh, headwear has a lot of influence in America. For sure, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, Ian, we'll come to you about Australia because you uh, go there regularly, I believe, and have a lot of links in Australia. Is that correct? 
Yeah, um, I, I've been to Australia on and off since for the last sort of 11 years. I go to sometimes three or four times a year, but mainly usually around for teaching in August, September time, but for the fashions and, and the Gold Cup season in November. So their, their millinery is very different to ours um, in the way that they do believe in piling the kitchen sink on, on stuff, but they do actually like the idea of, of, of matchy-matchy in a not – not a Majesty the Queen kind of way, in a in a like I was saying about um, Eugenia Beatrice's piece, and then adding pieces on the top. So they will they do take their inspiration very much from us, but they do like adding to it. So if they've got like a, a dress that's got multicolored diamonds on, they seem to like a veil in one of the diamonds, but some feathers in another one of the diamonds, and then something else with something else, and and then crystal it, and then yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it. It's incredible to see because it's all colour and it, it's they because the the light is very different and the the heat and the weather is also very different. Their their everything they do is far more based on colour than we. Our, our tones are way more subtle than theirs. Mm. Yeah, the word spectacle kind of comes to mind when you <laughs> when you see the Melbourne Cup. Or, you know, it's really yeah. yeah almost theatrical. I think. But. Yeah, it, it's it's. Sometimes it actually really does edge on being costume. Mm. Yeah, and and when when the when the models get out the back and they've worn it for a while, they're like, get it off. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. Take it off. Just take it off. But it looks yeah. fabulous in the pictures yeah. for sure. Yeah, they're, they're tr- yeah. They are true professionals because they they will hold it on until they get to the station at the end of the day, the, the train station. Then like oh, Alas got here, <laughs> yeah. off to arm, get it off. and then massage like, your head. <laughs> the headpiece off me as quickly as possible. (laughs) So um, you have hundreds of hats and taught hundreds of milliners to make their own hats. Uh, Sarah, that's, you know, both of you, who would you like to make a hat for and what would you use to make it? I mean, there are a lot of people I haven't, who haven't come over to my hats but you know I think my dream and like every once in a while it like nearly happens like every once in a while I get a hat called in for like a Tim Walker shoot that's what I want I want (laughs) or like you know a really really amazing theatrical kind of bridal headpiece or something like that where like where where you can kind of be subtle and you can have the couture techniques but also you can have the sort of drama and the you know the kind of the silhouette that's really kind of you know photo I don't know photogenic <laughs> um that's you know those are the sort of the dream things I really like making nice you know lovely well-made hats for nice ladies to wear to, to, to ask God. I like that a lot that's my main job and so of course when you do that you want the kind of you know the answer yeah. as yeah. well you know <laughs> let's go crazy every now and again yeah, yeah. <laughs> how about you Ian is there someone or you got me thinking um, now, I, I, in in that respect, I, I do completely agree with Sarah. It's there is something about like 
with the shop, I've noticed having a, just a normal person off the street come in and they go into a wedding or they're going to Ascot. And then when they come in for the fitting and they come to collect their hat and they sometimes bring the, their whole outfit with them and they put it on in front of you and, and they you can see them light up. You, it's almost like that, um, like those the TV shows that do the changing rooms and things like that. It's that, that sparkle moment when they put something on and you see them wearing it and you're like, I've done my job when they're really pleased with what they've done. And they, they stand differently and their neck and their poise and everything is, suddenly becomes something else. Yeah. And that's what, that, that's what you do it for, or that's what I do it for. Um, men are slightly more difficult because the men, unfortunately, men have spent most of their lives looking in the mirror in, in, when they try stuff on and go, hmm. And, and their wives, partners, have, everyone else goes, what does hmm mean? And they're like, hmm, same thing. <laughs> and, and, so you spend all this time making a top out for somebody and you go, and they stand there and it, it, so you go the grand reveal and put it on their head and they go, hmm. But I would have loved, loved to have made a hat for Diana while she was alive. Yeah. I mean, it, that, 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 heyday of, of of when I was just getting into millinery at the end and I, I worked um, my first work placement was at Philip Somerville and they were in Blenheim Street mm. and um wow. they we that was that was nineteen ninety and um that wow. that was superb um because I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand millinery, I didn't understand any of it and I was like <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and yeah it was just and and it was the tail end of all of that and I just wish mm. if I'd have been there a few years earlier it's true actually when you see now suddenly those images of Diana I mean she's always looked you know those images are beautiful but actually this image of her of her millinery now I think we, they see feel quite fresh again suddenly it's just how mm. fashions move and right now we've got a little bit of a taste for that kind of 80s and there's something yeah. that you see this lovely image there were a lot of images last week during ascot of, of her going to ascot and they're you know in john boyd hats and and, yeah. and they just they look, they look really lovely and quite romantic and you know yeah it's, it's a, yeah they haven't they've dated yeah. well i'd say they have and she just wore them so well didn't she sure she was... i mean somebody who who is comfortable and happy in a hat you know, yeah. they can kind of wear anything. And- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And and that 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 confidence and, and that sort of that comfort is it's when you see people like when you go to Ascot in the morning and you go from from this end when you go from Waterloo on the train outwards, and you see people walking past you in the station that has got that confidence and they're really happy wearing the hat and they walk differently and you look at them and yeah. you go, yeah. that's yeah. how people wear hats. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's when it's really okay, nice. yeah, yeah. It's turning things around. If you could go back in time and have a hat made by Annie Mellon or a hatter for yourself, do you have anyone that you would love to have a hat by? <laughs> I mean, you'd have to have one of Coco Chanel's boaters, no? I mean, I don't even see yeah. a boater in that. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to have one. Yes, oh, that's man. no question for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That would, that would hands down be like the thing if you could like you unwrap a box and it's like that's a Chanel boater. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or the Chaparelli shoe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> that would that would work for sure. <laughs> but I, I think I think for me that the 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 Chanel boater would just be like the shoe. Like as Sarah, as we've both seen the the shoe in real life with part of the V and A. Um, 
there's there's something about the shoe that I think is incredibly iconic in a mm-hmm. picture. That it's quite in- crudely made, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She wasn't a milliner. <laughs> it's made like a dressmaker making a hat. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but yes, the 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 idea. I think it's it's like some of those pieces that that Philip Tracy did for Alexander McQueen. They're they when you unwrap them and you see them as the thing they are. They're just like they almost take your breath away because it's that is that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And is is there like because you've done so much research on top hats from the past? Is there like any you know makers that? Like, I, I, I don't know if, if I think that that bit of hat history has been lost a little bit. Are there any, you know, names that would have been the best kind of thing? In the uh, I mean, there's there's lots of different makers um, and lots of different people using that. It's it, there was a, a period when when the when the top hat first became fashionable, that beaver fur and things were worked in. And then there were short hair, long pile, very wasted, tall, straight. Mm-hmm. So they they have varied. But as far as I can work out, there's the, because they became such a thing, they were almost like like the Luton factory as such. Mm. That they were being made en masse by right. so many people. I I can't, so far, of all the ones that I've had that have passed through me, uh, he, like the Lincoln Bennett are really lovely. Christie's have, al- um, mm. Christie's have always been brilliant hat makers, be they top hats or Homburgs or anything mm. like that. Um, and same with Locks, but Locks don't make their own now. So, um, but they would, I, I think from what I can gather, lots of them would have been made to a very similar standard in a factory in the way that Luton does yeah. still with women's hats now. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's some, there's some amazing there's some amazing uh, toppers in the V&A archive, mm-hmm. which are never going into the museum. You can sometimes call them up in the in well at Blythe House, which is about to change. But um, we did once with the students, and it was sealed in a, in a, in a Southern bag because it's because it's got mercury on it. Oh, and actually, apparently, they have a ton of these toppers that are that wow. got, you know, poisonous poison on <laughs> yeah. them, and they and they so they can't get rid of them. They keep them in these cellophane bags. It's, it's yeah. quite scary that the thing when you see poison, and it's like that's not allowed yeah. to be on. Right. Yeah, it's amazing. They're amazing. Wow. It's sort of yeah. moment of yeah. history. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the one, the one that you requested for us, Sarah, when I took the H and C group, a white one. Yeah. That's a, it, Almost like a, a silver cream. Yeah, yeah. It, is absolutely. It's like <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then the students are all like, "The chaperone shoe, the No, look at that topper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, the scale of toppers is really could, was really dramatic. Uh, yeah. You know, you got really high, really wasted, really big tops actually. Yeah. Um, and now actually toppers are sort of quite a, a more set size. As, you know, yeah. You know, they, yeah, they, they almost. That one was almost, is almost Tim Burton style. But it, it's so large at the top. It, it really is wasted and tall and wide at the top. It's like all the rules <laughs> of a top hat that you really shouldn't break are in that one hat. So both of you are published. You have books about millinery that you've written. Um, Sarah, can you tell us a bit about your book or books? Do you know, I realized today it's been 10 years since I did it. Wow! Which makes congratulations. <laughs> well, no, it was published in 2011, but I reckon I did it in 2010. Um, and actually, I mean, I worked with an incredibly skilled publisher, editor, and content, you know, developer. I was very skeptical, to be honest, about making a hat, a book about making hats, because I think I'm very hands-on. Um, 
but actually the photographer and the way they the way that they managed me and I was literally making not pretending to make I was actually making these hats 13 of them wow, wow. <laughs> as they were photographing me and I would just say yeah. okay so this is the bit when I prize up a bit of the petersham and I with the end of my scissors and then I shove a bit of elastic under there and I pulled out the other side with a pair of pliers and he'd <laughs> okay yeah just pause there and I go there's no yeah. way that's gonna look like that <laughs> I mean he it was but it, I think I was very blessed with a very skilled photographer and skilled editor to be able to tell the technical stories of each of each of the hats and each of the techniques um I think it's out of print now sadly <laughs> uh, mm. I like doing it a lot um mm. quite hilariously they did a demo they did like a dummy 10 pages and they said look we'll take it to Frankfurt and London book first we'll see what happens and I was like no one's gonna buy that Karen Henriksen just on her book you know I thought no one's gonna want this book back they come they said, we have to have two commissions. They got the UK and US um, commissions to do it. And we had to do the US one first. And I'd written all the script. I'd written all the text. And I'd designed all the projects. And then we did all the photos and blah, blah, blah. And then I had to edit and edit, edit, and, you know. And, and oddly enough, yeah. they, they did the American one first. And they kept coming back to me and saying, okay, so we need the, we need the American word for this. <laughs> I was like, Am I not American yeah. enough for you? <laughs> I don't know the American yeah. word for this. Yeah. I find that all the time with Hot Talk. I'm having to translate, and I'm like, "This is all English." But, but it was you know, really it's not the same. Was English was like you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Your yeah. English editor has to translate for you now. Yeah. <laughs> well, so actually, looking back at it, I realized that even within, and I, you know, because I teach, I'm fairly consistent in the skills I use. Your taste for skills change over time. There are a lot of things mm-hmm. I would wouldn't do now that I did in that book. Right. A lot of things I would do differently. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah. it, it's, well, that, that book still stands up well. I though. mean, I hope so. I hope so. But but it's um, I, I I'm surprised myself when I go and look and I go, oh yeah, I don't really do that anymore. I would do it this way, you know. So you're always you're always learning, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But but uh, a great place to start. What what is the name of it? If someone Hats. was looking at it, Hats by Sarah Kent. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and Ian, you're you're. More recently, um, you've published your own work. Yeah, um, mine mine came about in a, a, a completely different way. That mine is from many years of of, of teaching. It, it actually started when I used to teach something called the summer school at, at St Martin's years ago. Um, going on from where I taught Sarah at, at London College of Fashion, and so it was you'd have it either a week or two weeks long or over a 10-week period of one evening a week or something. And what I was finding was lots of students, English wasn't their first language, but everyone in in the art field, lots of people know can understand what you're doing with your hands, but they don't know what the words are. So what I, would, what I started to do was write down what they would do over the week about how they'd block a felt, how they'd make a straw, how they'd put an edge on, things like that. And just the simple basics, but do it so it was very much drawing orientated. So, so whereas Sarah had a great editor to do hers and the photographs and things like that, I didn't have those means for me. And, and the college wouldn't reprint stuff like that. So I just had a black and white copy or a notes to work with. So I, in the days before decent um, mobile phones and images, I used to sit there and hold something in a certain way and then draw my hand <laughs> holding something in a certain wow. way and keep drawing it and keep holding yeah. it. And, and these notes, when we was in Australia, Amanda, the, the, the lady who does all my sort of business and stuff over there for me, 
um, she was like, these could be a book. Mm. These could be, a, but not a book book. They could be. There's a, a great book out there called From yeah, the Neck yeah, Up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we've got that purple cover, which is the the thing I learned from. In I would read in the evenings when I was doing my work experience at Philip Somerville, and and try to decipher those patterns and work out what the hell. It's was really going old. On. It's like and, Edwardian, isn't it? Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it, it was it was trying to. I wanted it to be more like that. So it, it could be a spiral mm-hmm. bound. So people, the one I love table, coffee table books, but I don't like the fact that you can't keep them open at a page. Mm-hmm. And, and and they also feel incredibly precious. Yeah. You kind of, if, if it's a man, if you're working to it, you have to be able to have it like a cookbook, you know, open to the mm-hmm. page you want. Couple of coffee stains, you know. <laughs> yeah. So they, it, that's how that idea came about. It was all those collection of notes that I'd done over all the years and the, the last piece, the, the last sort of piece of the jigsaw puzzle was when when we were in Australia last year, one of the sets of students said to me, I said, this is a no notes class, so you're going to have to take your own notes and take pictures. And they're like, what? <laughs> we, we, we come to your class because you give us notes oh. and we like your yeah. notes. And I'm like, so I have spent three days with jet lag <laughs> trying to write <laughs> quickly a set of notes to make. And, and then that was it. So we actually put together the book based on all those notes that I taught in those classes. So it was it was just a, a, they were digitally cleaned up mm-hmm. and they were put into a more of an order and then mixed in with some of my watercolours and stuff. But they were more as a reference mm-hmm. book that you could work through rather than it be a... And th- that's the reason why we called it My World According to Me, because it's it's all those those techniques that I was taught by people like Shirley Hicks and yeah. Maria Reagan and, and Freddie Fox and all those other old milliners that have said, right, this is how I do yeah. it. This is, I want you to make this. If you want to make it this way, by this way, we'll do it that yeah. way. And it's, you, I believe you've even called it a workbook, like it's that kind of format. Yeah. And- it, I, I call it a technical mm-hmm. workbook for those reasons. It's, I'm I'm not trying to be a, a fabulous coffee table book. I, it, it's it's all about the idea of That's your next one, Ian. <laughs> Sorry? That's your next one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's that idea like I, I remember there was a, a a little old lady who was in her late seventies when I started working at Graham Smith, Linny. She she used to sit there and she said she used to sit and make handmade flowers. Out of bits of parabuntal straw in and little irons sat there with a little sandbag on her knee next to me with a hot and and I'm, I was always asking what I'm doing and she said if I don't show you then I die with it wow and then what wow and and wow. and, and, and that's, she was she was in her late seventies then as was Magda and Carol that I worked with at Graham Smith and incredible people so and that's where I'm thirsting. And, and it was it's it's that idea that for for me I, I can't speak for Sarah but that whole thing of like trying to pass on that skill to people so this industry that we have hopefully we can make more people that are passionate about it in the way that we are so we can keep yeah, this industry yeah. going yeah yeah and pass skills on to future generations Absolutely. because it yeah, tragedy if they were lost for sure yeah the skills are really like important I don't actually really mind. I feel this when I'm teaching. I don't have to. I don't really mind what the hats look like. 
but mm-hmm. I really mind about the skills. I mean, I want to teach yeah. design, yeah. and I think that allows you know people to kind of develop mm-hmm. their own. But I'm not teaching them how to make hats like me. But I, I really want the skills, you know, the kind of yeah. material handling and how to manage your wire and your thread and stuff. I really like that yeah. stuff. That's really important. It's the foundations, yeah. you know. For sure, needs to look as good inside as out, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so I mean, well, just Ian, your your book. I mean, it, you did a book signing at London Hat Week last year, um, and hopefully we'll be doing it again in October, all being well. Um, I know it was very popular, and you just did a limited run to start with. Is it is it available at the moment, or is it in process of... Uh, no, no, it's it's still available. It's I had lots of people con- contact me, like, third week of the lockdown, because <laughs> I think quite a lot of people were like, uh, and, and to a certain extent, I was because I, I had an incredible milliner here with me called Philip Rhodes, who's, who's from mm-hmm. Melbourne, who was working with me at the time. And there was like every day we were going in and talking about the news and it was like, I think I might have to go home soon. <laughs> and I'm like, well, we'll try another day. <laughs> We would keep working, but but yes, it, it, for a while when it, it sort of felt a bit surreal and we quite, weren't quite sure of what was going on, and then when I was told like the shop has got to close and stuff had to go away, and I then had a print run, so thinking well maybe if 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 the odd person wants one I can post it from here, and then the rest I can do for the book signing when we go to London Hatway, and and that sort of little run just. The, the, over the next few weeks, they just wow. went. So everyone who was sat at home were like, "I have nothing to yeah. do." <laughs> the table. So unlike everyone else, like I decorated my hall yeah. and I tried. <laughs> this is the time. Perfecting the flower day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Instead, of, because I can't cook to save my life, so instead of, instead of doing those things, I would post them out to people, cool. and it's so lovely to hear people say that they even with the postal being what it was that they've got them and they've tried. Mm-hmm. Some people have already messaged me pictures that I've tried this veiling and I've wow. done this, and, <laughs> and, it, and it's really nice to see. So, how do people get one if they want one now? They just contact you, or yeah, they just contact me via Instagram, okay. and then I send them out a secure link, and they pay for it, and then I post it to them. And if they're crazy enough to let me write on the inside cover, I I, I will <laughs> gladly write something for them. I think most people wouldn't very much appreciate that for sure. So that's at Ian Bennett Milliner. That's right, Ian Bennett Milliner. Millinery. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, cool. So. We have spoke a lot about making. Let's think about wearers. What tips do you have for someone who's choosing a hat for themselves, maybe even for the first time? Sarah, let's hear what what you have. Um, I think you have to trust your instincts. Um, people don't. Most people don't wear hats every day the way they wear, you know, skirt, top, dress. But I think people have an instinct about color, especially, and maybe even about shape, um, but especially color. And I think often when I watch someone try on like a lot of hats, the one that suits them best will be one of the first ones they put on their heads. So I think there is something about trusting the instincts. Um, Look at, it's what Ian was describing about like, you know, the face you make when you look in the mirror and like, you know, the kind of the feeling when everything's going together nicely. You know, if you put something on your head and you kind of make a funny face at yourself in the mirror, well... It's not the one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think that I think that uh, you know when I watch people and I watch them dress and be gone, I do block them. 
until the hat is on their head properly. I am physically in front of the mirror mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> until the hat is on right because there's nothing worse than, you know. So I think trust your instincts. Maybe make sure that you've got it on your head, right? Like have someone help you with that. And also I think if you're really unsure, bring someone with you whose opinions you trust. Don't bring somebody <laughs> whose opinions you're not quite sure about, who has a very different style to you or doesn't, isn't going to be honest with you. I think just have someone with you that is honest with you if you are unsure, if you don't trust yourself to do it on your own. But I think most people actually, if if you can get the help of a milliner or a really good shop assistant, if it's in a, you know, in a shop and the person, you know, you get the hat on your head right, you know, you're good to go. But you have to feel confident. That is, the, that is the key. If you feel like you're unsure about wearing this hat, then wear a different hat or get, you know, let's get on the head right or whatever. You don't want it to feel like it's going to fall off. You don't want to feel like you're kind of hiding, you know, or you don't feel like yourself. I think that's, you know, so, so all of those things are basic. The same things that apply when you try a, a frock, really. It's just that it's a, something funny on your head. Do you have anything to add, Ian? Uh, uh, I mean, Sarah's spot on. Uh, the, the only thing I will add to that is, the, the thing I've noticed with having a shop, I don't know if Sarah's had noticed this when people come to her studio, is that people sort of almost do that thing of when they come in and they go, I don't like hats and I don't like wearing hats. And they're like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> Either that's a challenge. Yeah, look at on my face and I'm like... <laughs> I'm not sure where I should go with this. But um, it, I, I do often say to people, like, the, the, what the problem for, for hat wearing now is when people aren't educated in wearing a hat properly. They And, and like Sarah says, often the first one, because I do a range of about 12 to 14 pieces a season and put them out, and the first one that people are drawn to usually ends up being very similar to the one that they end up having because there's something in them that's drawn them to that in the first place um but the i i do quite often say to people like if you think if you equate how many pairs of shoes you try on in your life and then think of how many that process that you'll try on hundreds of pairs of shoes until you find a pair that's right for this or right for that but lots of people don't expect to do the same for hats they they put they expect to put on the first hat they see and that immediately be for them whereas every other garment that they wear they will, they will try on hundreds of variations, yeah. but they expect the hat to be. And I'm like, this is where you, like Sarah says, with a good milliner, you can say, I don't think that's quite you. That would be better if that was a bit higher. This would be better if it was a little bit more of an asymmetric angle. And, and between you or, or a good like a good hat department seller, like uh, you, could, you could really achieve something great because people just plonking something on their head, almost pancake-like isn't always an answer and there is this risk you know no one feels really ridiculous that they have a shoe on that's not quite right for them if somebody has something funny on their head that they feel funny in they're going to get that off their head as quick as possible and get as far away from it as possible so i mean in a studio setting or a small shop setting you can kind of control that i mean as i said before i literally stand between the mirror and the customer and put (laughs) the hat on their head and make Mm -hmm. sure it feels solid and then i step away because I don't want the, first of all, I want the elastic under the chin or like the kind of, you know, the sort of anything that looks like a, kind of a bellboy's hat on top. Yeah, backwards. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I think it's just, you, no one wants to feel silly. So I think that there, there, and it is more of a risk to put something on your head. So you kind of have to do it in a way which, which, um, 
make someone feel like safe and like, let's find the best thing for you. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not a milliner myself, but having spoken to many, many milliners and know many, I don't like, I think if people are worried about maybe wasting someone's time by trying on a lot of things, I've never spoken to a milliner who doesn't say, I love to see someone find the right hat. So most people would rather take the time because it's a really special piece that you're getting and it needs to be something that you want to wear, doesn't it? So it's no good selling a hat to someone who doesn't feel great in it. It doesn't, it doesn't do anybody any favors. No, because ultimately either they're going to wear it and look really uncomfortable or they're not going to wear it at all, which, which then is okay. The the only thing you've done is actually get a sale out of it. But the, the chances of you actually getting that customer to come back to you again are really, really slim. Or to like, you know, recommend you to their mates or, you know, take a picture and put it on Instagram or whatever they do. You know, you need people to feel fantastic. Yeah. In the house. Yeah. So we're, we're uh, getting near the end of our time here, but both of you have made hats for the Royal Household, which, you know, many people um, aspire to if they are milliners. Um, tell us what you can about fittings for royal clients. I, I've almost never seen them, to be honest. It's all done through stylists and, and, and um, you know, by, by sending emails and posting things out and sending them back and getting a swatch sent. Um, there's very little contact. I mean, it's a huge honor. I'm so, you know, I love to see my hats being worn by the members of the world. And I think the world family are really fantastic about supporting British millinery. I mean, really amazing about it. I think it's a kind of a, you know... It's, 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 it's to the credit of the Royal Family, the, the amount that they support British millinery. I think it helps the industry hugely. Um, but, yeah, the contact is, is almost nothing. You know, it's, it's, it's all through, through your stylist. And I have someone who's my PR, and she sends the things that, oh, can you send anything, that, you know, can you send these pieces? Or have you got, you know, and I even do sketches and send photos of the sketches, um, swatches in the post, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's all quite remote. <laughs> From my experience, <laughs> which works well for this time period, anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, when, when I worked at the, the when I worked at within the palace with Stella, Stella, and um, Angela Kelly, the Queen's dresser, you, you didn't. Get, the, Angela would have fittings with with Her Majesty, and they would go off and in very similar. Although she was technically only like. 10 feet downstairs, you, you wouldn't see her. The, the Angela would take them away. They would be done. So the whole outfit would be put together with Stuart Parvin or whatever. And the, the, they did tell me that the Queen had this odd little frame, which is the frame of the size of the door for the car, for depending on which car she's going to be wow. moving. So, wow. Amazing. So when, she gets, so when she gets in and out of the car, the, the, the tip of the hat can't touch the tip of the door. So... So, and she's, she's she has, Angela's told me that she has this incredible routine of where she, when she's trying on the dresses and things, she, she has to do the wave and the movement and lean forward and wave to make sure that things, I don't know if you remember, but many, many years ago, Margaret Thatcher was quite known for doing this sort of wave with the jacket and the jacket would always pull oh. across the front. Well, the Queen makes sure that when she waves that the jacket doesn't move up or move across. And so she goes, she has a little routine. Of, yeah. of doing things. She but has, has experience. experience. <laughs> which she has incredible yeah. experience over. Yeah. And I mean that 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 level of because the one thing she doesn't want is to 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 feel uncomfortable or for someone to take a picture when she's getting out a door with a feather caught in the door or on it, that that's the, the level of, of, of 
um, sort of presentation that she works through, which is absolutely to be commended for. And Angela's absolutely on it with everything. She 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 knows what backgrounds places are going to be seen in and what the Queen's going to wear according to backgrounds and things like that. So it shows the Queen off in crowd scenes. or So all those things work and they're all done way in advance. So, so nothing like, like I think many years ago she 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 was in Portugal and there was a blue and white tile background and and unfortunately she had a blue and white dress on or <laughs> there was there was yeah. something it, it was never quite explained but it was always since this one event <laughs> every, nothing was ever yeah, everything yeah. was ever always lucky ever since then. They, they've done a, they've done a great job to be honest yeah ever ever since then yeah uh, yeah well, that is. A professional to the end. Sarah and Ian are regular masterclass tutors at London Hat Week and have become part of the LHW family over the years. Um, can you just tell us very briefly, Sarah, when did you first hear about Hat Week? Uh, I've known Jordina for a long time. And um, I uh, I think she just invited, you know, she sort of mentioned, oh, I'm thinking about doing a few day, you know, as she does. Like it was just going to be something little and it's just grown and grown and grown. Um yeah, I think maybe the first year I didn't do something. I might have had a small baby, uh, but really since the beginning, just because Georgina is kind of, um, you know, she she draws on her contacts uh, and she could sell ice to Eskimos. So yeah. <laughs> and she also tells you exactly the same as Sarah, but she also tells you in a way that makes you not feel overwhelmed or flabbergasted by the idea. Could you just, is there any chance you could just do this in the morning of this thing? And, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, oh, that's all right. That's fine. Until the day. <laughs> we were planning. We were, we had our list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we're so glad you are a part of, of London Hat Week, and we are looking forward to seeing you all being well in October. So until then, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye.